بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم محمد رسول الحمد للہ چنائی از دا نائنٹینتھ جنوری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ ون تھرٹی فرسٹ نائٹ دا وی گوئنگ تھرو دا ایگزالٹیڈ اینڈ دیئر لائف of the illustrious companion Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu and I've started the subsection in which we're now taking a glimpse into his participation in the various campaigns during the lifetime of our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa and I've mentioned thus far that he was there on the glorious day of Badr and he was looking after the belongings of the blessed Mujahideen So Anas' son, radiyallahu, Musa, rahmatullahi, he said, All in all, my father took part in eight battles during the lifetime of the Prophet. All in all, my father took part in eight battles, i.e. during the lifetime of the Prophet. This is recorded by Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani in Al-Isaba 1-276. And Al-Lu'ul Maknoon, The Hidden Pearls, Volume 1, page 72.1. So obviously the son, he had many, many children. One of his sons was, he named after Musa, He said that my father took part in eight battles. So who better, who knows better the son than the, 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 the father than the son? Hafiz Zahabi, he further elucidated in his seer, 2-397. Anas radiyallahu also participated in the great allegiance under the tree. So before moving on, I should have mentioned that in the battle of Badr, one of the martyrs was his first cousin, Harith or Haritha ibn Suraka. He radiyallahu, he was the one who was struck by a stray arrow before the battle commenced. And his mother was the one who, who complained to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Rubaiyah. And then the Prophet said, Your son is in the highest level of paradise. He quoted in Sayyid Bukhari. So, how was he related to Anas, the son? Rubai bin Nadr was the father's sister of Anas. We say the poopy. So, Harith or Haritha ibn Suraka, he was the first cousin, the paternal aunt's son. Of Anas. So he was very proud of the fact that one of the martyrs was his cousin. And then in the next encounter, which I mentioned, the Battle of Uhud, his uncle Anas ibn Nadir was martyred. Famously, he jumped into the battle because I can smell the fragrance of paradise coming from Uhud. So, Lord, in the most famous campaigns, his family members were giving their lives. But here, Hafiz Zahabi said, Anas was one of those who pledged. The great allegiance under the tree. So why is this very interesting? Their status is immense. Sayyidina Jabir radiyallahu He relates that our beloved messenger explicitly said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam لا يدخلوا النار أحدا مما بايع تحت الشجرة No one will enter the fire who pledged allegiance under the tree. This is in Sayyid Muslim Abu Dawood, number 4653. Tirmadi, number 3886. Hassan Sahih. Ahmad in his Musnad, number 4784. Mishkat. So, 
1,400, a few over, these noble souls pledged allegiance and they are all secured from the fire. The Prophet said this, Sayyidina Jabir similarly related that the Prophet said, No man who was present at Badr or Al Hudaybiyah will go to hell. Subhanallah. This is in Imam Ahmad's Musnad, Ibn Kathir, Seed of Volume 2, page 346 of the English translation. He states, Sakih to the criteria of Muslim. So the Badris famously, they are with the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, those at Hudaybiyah, the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, why is that interesting? There was no battle. Mm-hmm. The pleasure of allegiance under the tree was just a means of securing the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it was so sincere that Allah Ta'ala honored them with being people of paradise. After the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was signed, our beloved Messenger could now deal with the mischievous Jews of Khaybar. Sayyidina Abu Talha and his venerable stepson Anas were so close to Rasulullah during the campaign that their mounts were literally touching each other. In Sayyid Muslim, number 4437, Anas himself relates, Rasulullah raided Khaybar. One morning we offered Salah in the darkness of the early dawn. Then Rasulullah mounted his horse once more. Abu Talha thereupon mounted his and I mounted behind him on the same horse. Rasulullah rode through the streets of Khaybar. And we rode so close to him that my knee touched the thigh of Rasulullah. <laughs> Look how beautiful. He's given glimpses into what's happening at Khaybar. Khaybar was a string of fortresses of the Bani Israel. They were a thorn in the side of the Muslims, always causing mischief. Why did the Prophet after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah decide to deal with them? Because the Quraysh had been neutralized. <laughs> The unbelieving Quraysh were the main enemy. When they had signed the peace treaty, they were neutralized. So now the Prophet could deal with the real mischief mongers. And he headed towards Khaybar and they fell one by one. But Anas, he gives a glimpse. He goes, we were riding through the streets of Khaybar, meaning maybe a fortress had fallen. And my knee touched the thigh of Rasulullah. So how close was he? To the Prophet he remembered those moments, but this shows that he was so dear and beloved to him. Anas also then went on to participate in the Battle of Hunain. And he said something very interesting. In Sayyid Muslim, in the chapter on Zakat, giving to Sum in order to attract them to Islam, the 136, he said, We conquered Makkah and then we attacked at Hunain. The polytheists came with the best row formation I had ever seen. The horsemen were lined up in the front. After that, the soldiers were lined up. Behind them, the women were lined up. And behind them, the goat sheep were lined up. And after the sheep and goats, the camels were lined up. So look what, how interesting. Anas now, maybe in his late teens, for the year long, Hunayn is after Makkah had fallen. The Prophet went out, but he was describing how organized the unbelievers were. So now, when was this? So obviously, it was an ambush. So it wasn't during the ambush he saw this. It was after when the fighting started taking place in earnest. But look at the discipline that the unbelievers had. Because you get this impression after the ambush failed, 
they dispersed. But others were saying no, because they were so disciplined. The horsemen in the front, then the soldiers behind the women, then goats and sheep, and then of course the cunts. Malik ibn Auf, the enemy chief at the time, had brought with him their wives, children and livestock, which he felt would make them fight more bravely and would prevent them from fleeing from the battlefield. That was the wisdom. If you bring your family onto the battlefield, you're not going to retreat. That's why he did that. Our beloved Messenger set out with around 12,000 men, the largest Muslim army to date. As recorded by Imam Hakim in his Mustadrak, 2-121 states Sahih, Zahabi, Sahih, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham in his Sida 4-118. So what's happened? Makkah has fallen. The Thaqif were thinking the Prophet is coming towards them. So they organized a huge army. But the Prophet swerved towards Makkah. So they were now on standby thinking after Makkah has fallen, he's definitely going to come towards us. And they were right. So he only spent a few days in Makkah organizing the affairs, then he set out. So 10,000 Sahaba came to Makkah. Makkah fell. Now there's 12,000. So where did 2,000 come from? These were the new people who had embraced Islam. So 12,000 were now heading towards Hunayn. The enemy forces numbered 20,000. Recorded by Hafiz Waqidi in his Al-Maghazi 2-893. So the odds were roughly 2 to 1 in favor of the unbelievers. Some of those who had recently embraced Islam thereupon boasted of their numbers thinking it would be impossible to be defeated. The Prophet expressed his displeasure about this. So what's happened? You've got the senior Sahab, Abu Bakr, Umar, etc. They didn't say anything. They knew it was all to do with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But there's people from the companions who just embraced Islam. These are the ones who made these statements. So they were thinking when we were on the opposite side and we were always in materialistically more numerous than the Prophet, we still lost. <laughs> now we're on the Prophet's side <laughs> and we've got 12,000. Because how can we lose? The Prophet overheard this. He didn't like it. Why? Because all hell comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thus it was decreed that the believers entered into an ambush in the Hunayn Valley and they were completely taken by surprise. <laughs> How do we know that? They were completely taken by surprise. Because barely 100 of the 12,000 kept firm. So if I was to ask you, what is that percentage? 100 out of 12,000. That's not even 1%. Less than 1% kept firm. But how do we know that was the number? In Tirmidhi Hassan, Fattal Bari 16-141. Shaykh Al-Bani Rahmatullah in his Sahih Sunan Al-Tirmidhi 2-137 states Hassan. Abdullah ibn Umar said, I saw myself on the day of Hunayn when the people fled that there were no more than 100 people with Rasulullah. So there's an authentic report. The son of Umar goes, barely a hundred was with him. Everybody had fled. Who were amongst the hundred? In Ibn Ishaq is Hassan, Ibn Hisham in Isida 4-122. It mentions Abu Bakr, Umar, Ali, Abbas, Abu Sufyan ibn al-Harith, his son, Fadl ibn Abbas, Rabia ibn al-Harith, Osama ibn Zayd, Ayman ibn Um Ayman ibn Ubaid, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. So in this authentic report, we've got a few names. You expect the Khilaf al-Rashidi. you got the uncle of the Prophet, Abbas, 
you got the cousins of the Prophet, Fadl ibn Abbas, Abu Sufyan ibn al-Harith, Rabia ibn al-Harith, you got his beloved Osama ibn Zayd, and you've got the other beloved, Ayman ibn Um, Ayman ibn Ubaid. So where was Anas? The blessed mother and stepfather of Anas were also amongst these noble, steadfast souls. Their unparalleled bravery can be gauged from the following blessed reports. So who was the stepfather? Abu Talha. And who was the mother? Um Sunan. Anas radiyallahu he said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had said on the day of Hunin, whoever kills an unbeliever, then the possessions and belongings of the killed will go to him. Subsequently, Abu Talha killed 20 of the enemy. On that day, he got all their possessions and belongings. This is in Sayyid Muslim, Abu Dawood, number 2718, Hassan, Ahmad in his Muslim, 3-114, Darimi in his Sunan, number 2884, Hakim in his Mustadrak, 2-130, states Sahih to the criteria of Muslim, Zahabi Sahih, Mishkat, number 4002, or volume 2, number 326W in the chapter on Jihad. So Anas is narrating, because my stepfather killed 20. He took all their belongings, because the Prophet said it, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What about his mother, Um Sunay? With regards to his venerable mother, Anas further said, Radiyallahu Abu Talha met Um Sunay, who had a dagger with her. He thereupon said, O Um Sunay, what is this with you? She replied, By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I intend that if anyone came near to me, to pierce their stomach with it. Abu Talha thereupon informed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he smiled upon hearing this. This is in Sayyid Muslim, number 4680, in the chapter on Jihad and Expeditions. Abu Dawood, number 2718, Hassan, Darimi in his Sunan, Ayat volume 2, page 350 of the New English Translation. So think about that. First of all, what is Um Sulaim doing there? Shouldn't she be staying in Makkah? This is a military expedition. So, you know, something to reflect upon. Was she there just, just to, you know, do some needlework? <laughs> right? She had a dagger. If anybody comes near me, I'm going to stab them. When the Prophet heard this, he didn't disapprove. He just smiled. In another report, adding details. In Ibn Abi Shayba, in his Al-Musannaf, Al-Isaba, volume 4, page 461, Qanzul Umal, volume 5, page 307, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 350, of the New English Translation. Anas, he relates, radiyallahu during the battle of Hunayn, Abu Talha radiyallahu came laughing to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa He said, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa have you seen my wife, Um Sulaim, with a dagger in her hand? He thereupon saw her and said, O Um Sulaim, what do you intend doing with this? She replied, my intention is to use it to stab any polytheist who comes close to me. So what detail is added here? Abu Talha is laughing. Now, when you laugh, there's many reasons you laugh. One is, somebody said something humorous. Another is, it could be a sarcastic laugh. Many reasons. So why was he laughing? Because he was laughing with admiration. This is another reason you laugh. And he was laughing to the Prophet. And the Prophet some confirmed, because Om Salim, what are you doing? He's I'm going to stop the unbelievers. In another report, adding details, Imam Ahmad 
رحمۃ اللہ علیہ محمد ابن ابو عدی رحمۃ اللہ علیہ حمیر الطویل رحمۃ اللہ علیہ انس رضی اللہ When the Muslims were defeated on the day of the battle of Hunayn, Umm Sulaim called out, Ya Rasulullah, kill those who fled from you, just as you killed those who fought against you, for they are deserving of this. The Prophet said, O Umm Sulaim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sufficed us and has been good to us. So there is no need for this. <laughs> this is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, number 13,957, or volume 3, page 109. Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari a Muslim with a prestigious short chain. Muslim in his Sahih, number 4,680, in the chapter on Jihad and Expeditions, related similar. So look how touching, this is explaining why she's doing this. <coughs> If only a hundred have remained firm, who was one of them? Um Suleim. <laughs> So if you've got a woman and over 99% have legged it, what's the woman going to say? Just kill them all. So the Prophet said, said, we didn't collect that. All he said was, Allah Ta'ala has been gracious to us. So her anger was manifest. She was thinking, you know, are these men who've left? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with such an august and hallowed family and forgive us all for their honorable sake. Amen. So note at Hunayn, who's narrating all this? Anas. So he doesn't take a brain surgeon to work out. He was there. <laughs> right? He saw his stepfather. He saw his mother. But notice he's hiding himself. Mm-hmm. The Sahaba don't mention their own virtues. They like to mention the virtues of others. Mm-hmm. Either mother, their stepfather. But you could query, well, Anas is narrating all this. Mm-hmm. You could argue maybe he got this knowledge from his mother and stepfather. The answer is he was there. Why would he want to get the knowledge from his stepfather and his... And surely the son would be next to the stepfather in the butt. They shared the same beast of burden. His knee was touching the Prophet's thigh in Khaybar. So who was he sharing the count with? His stepfather. So in the battle of Hunayn, he's going to be with his stepfather. And what was he doing? He killed 21 believers. So what was Anas doing? Taking pictures. <laughs> right? So notice, he's there, the Allah. So now about this encounter, the Quran says something interesting, something interesting. In Surah Al-Tawbah, Surah 9, verse 25, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He says, Saudi Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, لَقَدْ نَصَرَكُمُ اللَّهُ فِي مَا وَاتِنَ قَثِيرًا وَيَوْمَ حُنَيْنِ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did help you on many battlefields and on the day of Hunayn. Look at how interesting the wording is. Why did Allah the Almighty and Glory separate Hunayn from the battlefield? It's a slight rebuke. But look how Allah Ta'ala does it. That's why we miss it. When he's rebuking, he does it in a very subtle manner. Allah Ta'ala helped you on many battlefields. وَيَوْمَ Hunain And on the day of Hunayn. Why? Because something happened there. What was the help? The help came due to the du'a of Rasulullah. What du'a did he make? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you now so wish it, you will not be worshipped on the earth after today. Subhanallah. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you now so wish it, you will not be worshipped on the earth after today. 
This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Ibn Katir Sira, volume 3, page 445 of the English translation, states Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim. So this explains how grave that situation was. When people say there was an ambush, barely a hundred remained firm. You still get the impression, well, we knew we were going to be victorious. Then somebody goes, have you heard of the dua of the Prophet? Mm-hmm. What dua did he make? He goes, Islam's finished. Meaning every Muslim who came after Hunain owes a great debt here to the dua of the Prophet. Meaning we wouldn't be sitting here discussing Hunain if it wasn't for this dua. Because there'd be no Islam. Now what does that mean if you think about that? There were still Muslims in Makkah. And the response is, the whole main body is gone. But the Prophet's words are true. You will not be worshipped after today if you wish it. Indicating that the moment of the ambush was truly a critical point in the history of Islam. But what was the help? Sayyidina Jubair ibn Mut'im, he said, I was with Rasulullah at the battle of Hunin. And whilst the battle was raging, I suddenly saw something like a black, like a black cover descending from the sky between us and the enemy. We then saw it to be ants that had spread out all over and then suddenly filled the valley. Immediately, the enemy was defeated. We had no doubt that these were the honorable angels. This is in Behaki. It is Dalai al-Nubu'ah, Hakim in his Mustadrak, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Katir, Sira, volume 3, page 453 of the English translation. So look how interesting. Sahaba saw it. So at first he goes, it was like a cloak. So you get the image of a cloak coming down. But as soon as he got near the floor, it turned into ants. And he goes, it spread everywhere. And he goes, the next minute, we're victorious. Is this mentioned in the Quran? Yes. In Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, verse 26, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, he says, ثُمَّ أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتَهُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولِهِ وَعَلَىٰ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَأَنزَلَ جُنُودًا لَمْ تَرَوْحَا وَعَذَّبَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَذَلِكَ جَزَازُ الْكَافِرِينَ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did pour his sakin upon his messenger and on the believers and he sent down forces which you did not see. He punished the unbelievers. Thus, he rewards those without faith. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? He poured down his sakina upon the messenger and on the believers. So now why is this important to highlight? Because you get some fruit cakes and they look at other verses of the Quran and they try to find fault with Sahaba. So for instance, in Surah Tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the incident of the cave. When the two were in the cave, Abu, uh, the Prophet وسلم, Abu Bakr, and then Allah Ta'ala says further down, and he sent down his sakina upon him. So the deviants, they say, why didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, and he sent down his sakina upon them? So the Rawafid say, because Abu Bakr wasn't a believer. <laughs> Allah Ta'ala sent down his sakina upon the Prophet, he left him out. So then you say, how does that prove he's not a believer? Because, well, why doesn't Allah Ta'ala say both of them? So there's two responses. First of all, some of the Mufassirin say that the Sakina was for Abu Bakr. Because Rasulullah was always receiving this. 
And secondly, Allah Ta'ala, when he indicated that the Sakina was coming to the Prophet, that's enough. Because he was the second of the two. Allah Ta'ala has combined them together. The third response are these verses. What does Allah Ta'ala say on the day of Hunayn? ثُمَّ أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتُهُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولِهِ وَعَلَىٰ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah Ta'ala poured His Sakina upon His Messenger and the believers who was one of the believers who remained firm. So Allah Ta'ala is telling you. Then He says, and He sent down forces which you could not see. Contradiction. Authentic report says they saw something. But that seeing wasn't their reality. That was just to honor them. They didn't see the angels. It was some sort of image they were seeing. If they actually saw the angels, then it contradicts the Quran. You saw forces which you saw not. He punished the unbelievers. This is their reward. So Anas was one of those noble souls on that plane of Hunayn. Anas later went on with Rasulullah on his final grueling campaign of over 600 miles to Tabuk and suffered with all the hardships it entailed. Mm. The Almighty and Glorious revealed the following great glad tidings to those who participated in this final blessed campaign. Mm. In Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, verse 117. Al-Ibn <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned with favor to the Prophet the Muhajireen and the Ansar who followed him in the hour of distress i.e. the Tabuk expedition. So now think about this. You've got Qatti verses where Allah is displaying his pleasure. To who? The Muhajireen and the Ansar. So who was top of the list of the Muhajireen? Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali. So how can in one place Allah is praising them and then all of a sudden after the Prophet passes away and next, the next year they become munafiks. That's like accusing God of making a mistake. So Allah is saying he turned in favor to the Prophet, obviously. And the Muhajireen and the Ansar. But which ones? Who followed him? Fisa'atil-Usra. Mm-hmm. who followed him in the hour of distress that's the battle of Tabuk the expedition of Tabuk subhanallah note the endless honors for the glorious muhajireen and the ansar of their assured forgiveness and divine pleasure may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with each and every one of them and forgive us all for their honorable sake Amen. so Anas at that time was now 19 years of age so he was there with the Prophet on this final expedition. So note, he's mentioned on the battlefields as well. And he narrates many of the incidents on the battlefields. And this is something that often mentioned about Sayyidina Anas, which is a great uh, um, injustice to his noble life. People focus upon his worship, his servitude to the Prophet, etc., etc., which is fine. But he was also on the battlefield. And Allah Ta'ala has given immense praise for these noble souls. And he was amongst them. So all I mentioned today was a very quick brief where his blessed name is mentioned on the various battlefields. Didn't go to any great length, but wanted to highlight where he's mentioned. And this also shows that he was trained to be a mujahid. 
which came to fruition during the time of the Khilaf al Rashidi. Are there any questions you'd like to ask?